Patty! It's me! <laughs> That's all I've got this week. How's everyone else? Didn't even get as far as a character name. Not even a name this week. <laughs> <laughs> this week, for our, our preamble, for a bit of fun that we like to have, I have brought you a sentence. <laughs> Sort of. Thank you so much for this sentence. I I am so appreciative. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Like I I worked really hard on it. Uh, I was a little bit nervous, you know, <laughs> de- debuting the sentence. Um, you know this 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 new character, this new ethos. Really, I mean, oh, is is, is this sentence the new character? Is that their name? Maybe the new character, the sentence. It's me, <laughs> the sentence. Daddy, <laughs> I'm on a farm, maybe. <laughs> I don't think we're fleshing them out. They're in a farm now. Eventually, eventually we might have two sentences, right? And then you've got a, a memorable character, character that will go down in history alongside Bambi and Walter White. <laughs> How is everyone? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. Getting by. I'm doing pretty good. Copies of my children's book arrived this week. Yes, I saw. Very exciting. I got to have a look at them and they look all professional. And I am once again completely riding on the coattails of my wonderful illustrator getting to be like, look at this wonderful book that looks gorgeous. I'm definitely the reason people will say this is good. (laughs) Well, it's uh, very much a, a collaborative thing. You need a good story for a children's book and you need good illustrations as well. So I'm very excited for you. That's awesome. I'm excited. I got to hold it and look at it and go, this is a real one. I made one and it's 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 real now. And now I'm just going to wait like three weeks before other people can see it. Nice one. Nice Because for now, it only exists in on my bookshelf. Excellent. I can't wait to see it in real. Yeah. Like, to actually, like, see the physical thing. I'm sure it's... Uh... I saw the photo, it looked very good. Hey, everyone, go check out Me and My Dysphoria Monster. It comes out on August 18th. That's real soon. Go check it out. Do it. It is very soon. Very soon. Um, I, I shocked myself earlier when I realised that next weekend is my debut with Wrestling Resurgence. Ooh. Which is August 6th. Uh, this is my first time out of the North North as well. It's It's in the Midlands, so it's still North. But that's Wrestling Resurgence on August 6th at the Y Theatre, uh, the Resurgence Rumble, for the their top t- championship. So even though there's like 20 other people in it, technically I've got a title shot. That's the bit we focus on. So that's the good bit. Yeah. Conrad, anything new with you? Uh, uh Just, you know, a uh, growing awareness of the emptiness of my own life. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Growing, yeah. I really thought you'd hit the peak on on that awareness. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. It's uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, still going. Yeah, still things to learn. Awesome. Also, I mean, I guess that's that's what they say, you know. Like, n- none of us truly know everything, right? N- none of us will ever <laughs> fully understand the scope of how s- stagnant and meaningless our lives truly are. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm proud of you though for making those strides. Thank you. Hmm. Well, you know, it's all about progress, right? Yeah. Being a better person than you were the day before. Exactly. Myself, I've had a really nice couple of days. Yeah? Not Well, nice enough. Nice enough. Like, both of you saw that I uh, 
have been wearing my wig less. Yeah. Oh, yes, your hair looks lovely. Yeah, like everyone, I got 200 replies to me posting a picture of it on Twitter, and only two of them were bad. Wow. That is pretty fucking good going. That is a good ratio. Yeah, <laughs> and even then, they weren't, it was people who thought they weren't being bad. Okay. Someone who replied with, not gonna lie, the wig was weird, which I'm like, thanks, I, I do still wear it, but... Thanks, I guess. They probably thought they were being supportive in some way. Yeah. They weren't being bad about the thing you would hope for them to not be bad about, so that's good. That was more awkward than mean. Yeah, I think the same was true of the person who said, oh, it looks like the product you're using isn't very good for your hair. Okay. Yeah, yeah, all right. Thanks. <laughs> but no, everyone else was very nice. It was it was encouraging. And as someone who struggles a lot with hair dysphoria, um, but that's the biggest issue I have. Because, you know, when when I started transitioning, I had pretty much no hair and had even shaved it off before then just to try and accept baldness with dignity. It has fought its way back impressively. Mm. Impressively. Like, it's not, it, you know, it's not consistently thick everywhere, but it. I can look in the mirror now and I, I don't hate what I see. Yay. So that's good. So I've been just getting more and more comfortable with it and that was a big, nice, positive thing and... And I'm enjoying that, like, just positive things, especially regarding being trans, because everything is so fucking scary and dark. So I decided this week I'm just going to be a lot more, try and be a lot more on the positive side of things. Not to the ignorance of, of the bullshit, but it's a very, you know, being trans is a very nice thing to be, and, and it's worth enjoying. Hell yeah, you deserve some joy and happiness. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm on meds for my chronic pain, so if I... I'm starting already, like it's just started, so now I'm feeling a little bit spacey. Like I'm made of like I'm made of marshmallows. <laughs> so apologies if if there's that. It's just I really thought that the I really thought the cowboy would carry me more. <laughs> and then once I reached the end of that sentence I realized I had no sentences after that. Yeah. So I'm sorry everyone. You know what we do have? What do we have? We got video games. There's always video games. We've played some of them and events around them have happened. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah? You mean to tell me, Laura? Yeah. That this week. This week. Of all weeks. Yeah, this week of all weeks. Video games happened. They did. We played some of them and things outside of us playing them happened. May God have mercy on our souls. Anyone want to, anyone particularly want to start? Tell us what they've been playing. I don't think God has mercy on our souls because video games. That's true. <sighs> he has mercy on assholes. The existence of video games is proof of the inexistence of a just and loving God. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know what? I'll I'll start off talking about a video yeah, game. Go on. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. jump in. I'll get us I'll get us moving on video games. <laughs> um I've been playing Xenoblade 3 this week, oh. a game that is not out until Friday. That's interesting, Laura. Surely you got sent a pre-release copy or something. No, I didn't, funnily enough. No. I definitely, definitely got a uh, Street Day Broken release uh, re retail copy, definitely. Uh, yes, oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely won't be related to any other stories that come up later this week that we'll be talking about late, later today. Like, I was just thinking in completely unrelated 
that it's interesting uh, how many of Nintendo's games seem to have been um, emulated before release. Yeah. But that was just as a completely separate topic. Oh, oh, don't worry. We're, we're going to dig into that late, later in the, in the show. That is an unrelated thought we will dig into. Yeah. So you were doing some urban foraging yeah. and you found a cartridge <laughs> of uh, Xenoblade in a dumpster. Stumbled upon a cartridge of Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... I'm like 30 hours deep into this at the moment. It is a big JRPG. If you've never played one of the Xenoblades, the deal is that they're JRPGs that play kind of like single player MMOs. Yeah. In that you're doing lots of managing cooldown timers for multiple characters and you're basically trying to manage, okay, have I got my healer doing what they need to be doing? Is the, the DPS doing their damage? Is the tank drawing aggro? Mechanically, this one leans even more into that. It kind of simplifies the the core of the gameplay, but then layers new stuff onto it. You've got a party of six characters, plus you can rotate a seventh in, and you pick up other choices for that seventh character as you go do side quests in the world. And the basic deal is that, is that every character has your four face buttons are attacks that are on cooldowns. Your character is specced into a certain class that is like DPS, aggro, or healer variants. And you can swap between them at any time during the combat. So, hey, I'm using the DPS. I've run out of things to to activate that are on cooldowns. I'll swap to the healer and see what they've got that hasn't been used. Swap to the the um, the tank and see what they haven't used yet. And you're just hopping around managing these cooldown timers for multiple characters. There is a lot of, like, layered on top of that interesting intricacy to the combat that is very slowly and poorly explained, but once you get into it, it's really nice. It's got some really, really fun grit to the combat. So it's one of those RPGs where basically every character can be respect into every other class of character. Mm. And by putting the time to respec a character into, like, it doesn't take very long. It's a lot quicker than most RPGs in this regard. If you spend, like, two hours with your DPS and your tank swapped positions in the party, for example, it will give them the stats they need to be that class, so it's not like they're playing a suboptimal class. Uh, and once they finish leveling it up, they will learn a couple of moves from that class that they can use regardless of what class they're playing. So you're encouraged to sort of swap around who does what role in the party, so that everyone learns a mix of abilities so you can start going, okay, well, I'll have you as a tank, but I'll give you this attack from this class of DPS and I'll give you this healing ability. And you can start making mashup character classes as you go. And the system works really nicely. I've been very much enjoying it. That sounds like a lot. It's, it's a lot, but it feels like less of a lot because of, and this is a criticism I have of this game, it takes like 15 hours to get past the linear tutorial. <laughs> Jesus, what is it with these fucking JRPGs? And just like, it seems to be a thing of like uh, quite a few like Japanese games that just hours in and you're being like dogpiled with tutorial information. Xenoblade as a series, I love it, but it's always had this problem of it simultaneously drags out its tutorial incredibly long despite there not being a huge amount it needs to teach you. Like, you'll be 15 hours in and still getting prompt, like, occasional, like, the game will stop entirely to show you a screen with some text and a screenshot telling you how a mechanic works. And it always is that, like, with a lot of those games, 
pop-up windows, which to me, like with someone who has like memory retention issues yeah. and working memory issues, it's a terrible way to learn how to play a game. Oh, ag agreed. And like, I don't think this game tutorializes well um, in a lot of regards. Um, sometimes you will get a new icon show up in your combat hub that's like, oh, this button does this. I don't know what that does. I don't understand what it does. It's poorly explained. And then 30 seconds later down the road, you'll get a tutorial pop up explaining how it works. It's like, why didn't you just wait until you'd given me the tutorial to put it on screen and show show me it? Why did you give it to me and not explain how it works only to tell me 30 seconds later? It's weird. And like, I hate to be this person about a JRPG and I know you're going to groan when you hear me say this. 15 or so hours in, it gets really fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's not to say it's not enjoyable up to that point, but up until that point, it is a linear RPG that is like very railroady yeah. and is carried by its story. It relies on its story and its characters to get you through those first 15 hours and then it becomes a much, much wider game. And I, I'll, I'll talk about like the basic plot conceit because like I really like what this game is trying to do narratively so far. It is set in a world where there are two, basically two factions that have been at war for as long as anyone can remember and there's a few sci-fi gimmicks going on to sort of justify why these forces are at war. And you are placed in the position of this group of kids, half from one side of the war, half from another, who are basically knocked out of the system of this war and put in a position where they're able to see the futility of what's going on and basically the fact that the, the people in power, the higher-ups, are manipulating this war to happen for their own gain and having to go how do we get people who have been at each other's throats for forever to see that there is another way other than other than fighting and this is kind of reflected in the main characters in that like your main two characters are people whose entire purpose when they were in the war was to perform funeral rites for the dead they were people who sat with the knowledge that war is a thing that costs many lives and that everyone, you know, regardless of what side you're on, deserves the dignity of funeral processes being res respected. And that's a really interesting perspective to then have as your heroes trying to go and faction by faction stop people from, from a war that is the only thing they've ever really thought about. Yeah. It's narratively interesting and, like, what it does for the gameplay is once it finally does open up, you're basically exploring this big open world, finding encampments and going, okay, what is it that we could do for you that would put you in a position where you could see an alternative to fighting? And that might be helping set up food stability. It might be dealing with producing other kinds of things for people to do with their time because, you know, all they can picture is fighting. And it's going around like it's, it's this really interesting set of just like nicely fleshed out little stories that feel like they're building up to something bigger. And I'm really enjoying it. With the caveat that it's 15 hours before it stops being linear and actually tells you what all the <laughs> interesting mechanics are, which yeah. is a heavy ask. I mean, if the game's still good until it gets really good, like that's different from like when people used to excuse, uh, excuse Final Fantasy 13 to me with... Oh, after 30 hours, it goes from shit to good. No, I don't, I don't think... Yeah, I was thinking about Final Fantasy XIII while I was talking there, and, like, this is definitely less linear for less time than Final Fantasy XIII was. And while it is pretty narrative-heavy during that, that opening linear section, 
the combat mechanics that are there are interesting enough that I got really into them. Um, there was enough stuff for me to be doing and me to be in control of until it opened up that like I was having a good time and then it became something different that was also a good time. But like, I don't blame anyone who picks this up and gets annoyed by its opening being told, yeah, oh, 15 hours, it'll change. No, it's not It's not a well-designed intro and like you should be critical of those fats, but I'm so far really digging it. It has a very good pacing of when you get given new characters and new character classes to play around with. You've generally got enough time, in my experience, that like you can train all of your characters up in one or two, at least one if not two new classes, before each time a new character class becomes available. So like you're filling up your roster of things you've trained your characters in just a little faster than you're getting new characters so that it's not, oh god, the list of what I need to teach my characters keeps growing faster than I can deal with it. Um, they've balanced that pretty well. The characters are pretty likable. I'm digging it. Yeah, Xenoblade 3 has been pretty good so far. I, I want to stick more time into it, but the first 30 hours have been pretty good. Uh, what about both of you? What have you been playing? Uh, I know a game that Conrad and I have both been playing. That's true. And you know, Loris played as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is this Stray? We want to Is talk about that? Yeah, let's do that. Sure, we can talk about that, Stray. We played this. Yeah. A cat. A kitty cat. Yeah. It's a game about not, a cat. Not entirely what I was expecting in a lot of ways. No. No. No, I, I did not anticipate as much dialogue in the game. Same. Yeah, all I knew, like I'd seen the original trailers and that was that was enough to have me interested. Yeah. And then I just knew, you know, there is a cat and there are some robots. Right. So yes, the level of plot that's in it, especially with the way the game starts, the way the game starts, very low dialogue. It's you as a cat just wandering around. Nuzzling up to your other friend cats. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, you get separated and just sort of go on this little adventure. And it feels like that's setting the tone for the rest of the game. Yeah. But it's yeah. not. Then things change. Yeah. I was surprised when there was dialogue at all. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The, the first time you show up and there's like a group of, of robots having a conversation about their fears of what they thought you were and why they shuttered doors when you arrived. I'm like, that's, yeah, I thought this was just going to be ambience. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, when you start getting little messages on screens yeah. directed at your player character, at the cat, telling you to follow it, and then you meet a little robot friend, and then in like, wow, okay. And now I, in my mind, the way I am thinking about this game I don't think the cat actually understands what the robots are saying. Yeah. I think the cat is just being cat. And it is incidental that all of the things the cat do align with thing robot need. Yeah. Whether that's true or not, like in my mind, yeah, the cat doesn't care. The yeah. cat's yeah. just yeah. catting along. And beyond this, I'm going to take it a step further. In my mind... I, as the player, am not controlling the cat. Yeah. The cat is controlling me as the <laughs> player to be and perform cat behavior. And that's what I love about, like, the puzzle design and the general environmental design of this game is that it is filled with things that cat do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would just be what cat do. You put that cat in that environment. Everything that happens in the game can be explained more or less by the cat 
being on its bullshit. Yeah. Being on the bullshit that cats are on. It's a little bit of, um, you know, infinite monkeys and infinite typewriters. <laughs> but well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's cat do. Like even when there's something where there's, um, I'll try not to give too much away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to not spoil. But where there's a bit more of a, because there are these, it's established early on, there were these little creatures that chase you. And even in moments where it's uh, a little more um, back and forth instead of just running, that can be explained by the fact that you're not controlling the cat. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I like that read of it. But I, w I wasn't keen at first when the dialogue started happening. I was a little bit, oh, I I'm kind of sad it wasn't a, a silent thing. Yeah. But it did grow on me. Yeah, it's not not to say that any of this other content is bad. It was merely not my expectation going in. The NPCs are all very cute. Yep. It's a very cute game overall. This is the thing with animal-based games where you wind up, you know, or where a lot of the intent is that you feel a deep attachment to this animal. I am probably at the two-thirds point of the game, and I'm terrified. <laughs> I am I have this deep sense of dread that yeah. somebody took notes from Peter, you know? <laughs> like I am I am deeply deeply upset. I've heard the ending from people who have finished. I've heard the ending is very emotional, but that doesn't tell me how I'm going yeah. to feel. Yeah. yeah. I was told that people have cried at the end of it. But again, that does not <laughs> that does not prepare me for the exact emotion that I'm going to be feeling. And I've already, like, I mean, even very early on, things happen to Cat that make sad me, right? I mean, the the very, even the very initial setup of why your cat is alone off on its adventure. Heartbreaking. Like, I, I was, I was in from the start. They, they, yeah. they've got yeah. a, they've got a good knack on there is a soul behind those eyes and I want to protect it. Yeah. So, um, hmm. Yeah, anyway, I interrupted somebody to say that, and now I can't remember where we were. Stray's good. <laughs> but the puzzle design is is good. The environment design is good. Uh, the little touches that are everywhere through it really just bring me a lot of joy. All of the places that you can nap, mm. the couches you can claw. Every time I've gotten an opportunity to scratch the doors or carpets or sides of a couch, I've done it. Oh, yeah. It adds nothing. There's no reward in it, but cat got a cat. It's exactly like the meow button or the uh, the honk button in Untitled Goose Game. Although the, the meow button does serve some functions. Yes, but not 99% of the time I use it. Well, Usually yeah. I'm using it because I want to make the cat sound. I like seeing the cute little reactions from the robots when you meow near them. Yeah. Like they might get a little heart appear on their face screens or they'll look at you angry or something. I think that's very cute. But overall, like I like... I like the dialogue a lot. After I got over the fact that it wasn't what I expected, I like the story, I like the characters, I like the world it takes place in. Although Kotaku has a pretty good article about um, sort of the trappings of Orientalism that's in uh, mm. cy cyberpunk genre stories, which of course the gamers have got really pissed off about. But if you read the article, it makes some fair fucking points. Yeah. yeah. And there is a bit of that, yeah. You know, it's drawing from like historical... Um, political imagery from Hong Kong, but doesn't really say anything with it, which is something I've criticised on the Jimquisition many times, of just, like, cribbing political imagery but not actually 
standing by the meaning of that imagery. So there is some some of that, and I think that's very well worth considering. The cat is adorable, though, and I don't know how it ends, because I think I'm probably about the same point Conrad is at. We started playing around the same time. I, I'm guessing I'm about the same depth into it. Yeah. I feel like I'm I'm third acting. I'll just say this. If the cat dies, I don't know. If But if the cat dies, I'm just going to roll my eyes. I don't think it's sad when animals die in video games anymore because it's they've gone to that well so many fucking times. And I had a Jimquisition on that as well, just the fact that whenever you see a dog in a game, people take bets on how long it will take for the dog to die because that's the language of video games, the language of death. It is the easy answer for I want to make you yeah. cry, and I feel like there are more interesting things you can do. Yeah, if you can make me cry about a cat without killing it, yeah. then... Then you'll get a round of applause from me. I just don't want to see a dead cat. That's all. I don't want. I mean, I don't want to see a dead cat. That's that's, that's really what it comes down to. It's not that I'm gonna have. You know, I'm probably gonna have an emotional response to ending my relationship with this animal one way or another. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah, I just don't want to see a dead cat. Yeah, I'm not saying it won't be. I'm not saying it won't be upsetting. Sure. If if that's where it goes. Right. Uh, and again, I'm not saying it goes that way. I don't know. But your emotional response will not be due to being affected by the idea of its death in an emotional fashion, because that response has been numbed for you. Exactly. Yeah, it's been coloured by just how many times video games have, have drawn from that well. And the fact that, you know, when I hear this game has a sad ending, that's the first thing I'm thinking, because it's the first thing we've been trained to think is, oh, they're going to kill that cat. And I'm like, I, I'm hoping they don't. Because if they can do, like, I genuinely mean it. If they do something that makes me cry that doesn't involve the cat dying, I'll be impressed. That's what I'd rather be than than rolling my eyes. But, you know, I don't know how far I am at from that. I know people have said the game is short. I'm about six hours in. Yeah. Which, yeah. to me, doesn't yeah. seem that short. It's not that short. If sound, I mean, an eight-hour runtime is well that used to be the norm for every really AAA did. game before they had to cram in tons and tons of shit to convince people to pay a 60 and 70 dollar retail price yeah yeah and i'd rather have an eight hour campaign that that does what it sets out to do yeah than an eight hour game that has been stretched and padded and filled with repetitive busy work that's not content to me never has been give me a game of a length where i'll actually finish it <laughs> yeah that'd be nice and there is nice little bits of side content of optional things to find and do in here. Yeah. Um, it's pretty fleshed out. It doesn't feel overdone, but there's a lot. My issue with that, my issue with, with some of the side corn is, and I guess they're limited by just how the game is set up, but it's all, all of it is wander around looking for shit. Yeah. Look, look for where we hid things. And I did that in the first slum area. I did that, found all the music sheets, found the energy drink cans to buy the things, and was really super into it. Then I got to the second sort of bigger area. Yeah. And then it was more of that. And yeah. and it's it's not just the side stuff, it's the main story stuff as well, where it's like... It's pretty much that is it, yeah. Get this thing and bring this thing here and get this thing to get this thing. And so I'm at, I'm now at the point where like hunting high and low to unlock memories for the little robot to remember like I'm kind of I just I'm not that interested anymore 
because I did so much of it at the beginning. Yeah. I'm not like just rushing through it, but I no longer care about unlocking every, like, like exploring every nook and cranny, especially because some of the stuff's kind of hard to find just because the environment is so densely visually packed. It can be hard for me to work out like where I have and haven't been. Yes. Narratively, that makes sense. You're a cat. You got distracted by something else. You, you're not focused. Exactly. I'm role playing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, as someone who literally wears a kitten collar, like to me, yeah. this is a bus person's holiday. Like I'm, I'm in my element with Stripe. <laughs> yeah. That... I knock things off of shelves. Oh, constantly. <sighs> Usually with my big boy fucking hips. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, straight straight's pretty good. Yeah. And I'm um, I'm gonna finish it off for next week, but I've been having a good time so far. It's very adorable, very sweethearted. Uh has a nice story. Uh, I love the robot designs as well, the the little screens that they have for faces yeah. and, and and just the way they animate. Very pretty looking game, visually. Also, um when it goes like creepy it goes hard yeah particularly it's some of the uh mid-level or mid-game environmental designs mm -hmm. oh god that stuff in the sewers like yeah oh the environmental oh, details are really really um yeah unnerving deeply deeply unsettling yeah yeah. It is doing more than simply leaning on this is game about cat. Yeah. Like it's got more going on. Great little game. Yeah, I've been enjoying it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I, I played I played another thing. What did you play? I've started playing another thing. Um As Dusk Falls. Oh, I I had you on uh I, I was watching a bit of you doing that with the with your Twitch people last night, actually. Yeah. And the the Twitch integration was the thing I wanted to talk about. But like first I, I need to give a, a a short caveat here. Mm -hmm. I played this game start to finish pretty early in its development. I was asked to basically play an early version and go, hey, what do you like? What are you not? If this released like this, what would your thoughts be so we know what to act on? So bear that in mind with any praise I give it. That is important context. But yeah, uh, As Dusk Falls is a choose-your-own-adventure-y type game, one of those uh, episodic adventures where you make choices and paths branch. Um, it is made by a bunch of ex-Quantic Dream people who left because of how shitty that company had become and like oh. very publicly left Quantic Dream not wanting to be associated with them and like, let's go do our own thing with less budget and better story. And I think they have achieved that. A Quantic Dream game without the David Cage right. does sound pretty edifying. Yeah, so um, art style, you might remember having seen trailers for this. It is that Xbox game that the art is lots of 2D um, like uh, drawing uh, drawings of people in 3D environments. It's all 2D people in 3D space. They're like animatics. Animatics, yeah. It's, it's holding individual frames and using those to build sort of moving images. Yeah, and fading elements to create a sense of movement. Yeah. And, yeah. It is it is definitely a distinctive art style that is gonna be very hit and miss. I know some people really aren't getting on with it, but like it I, I think it does the job of a budget way to have a distinct art style and tell a story. Unlike a lot of Quantic Dream stuff, um, which feels like the fairest comparison considering where these devs came from, 
There are no supernatural elements to the story. Uh, it is a grounded narrative about two families having one very fucked up day and then the aftermath of that very fucked up day. You've got a family trying to move across the country, their car breaks down, they end up in a motel, and you've got a family who stole a bunch of money from a sheriff's house to try and not lose their home, who end up having to holding the motel hostage. I already have, like, a sympathetic view of some of these characters. Yeah, and that's the thing, is, like, it starts off as, like, a very antagonist situation where it's, like, the people who robbed the sheriff are presented as the as the villains here, but it, it does a good job of going, we're going to build up why this family ended up in a position where they felt they had no other choice, and, like, it's not excusing what they're, they're doing, keeping people at gunpoint, but, like, it's very... It, they do a very good job of making both sides of this exchange... Very understandable. Um, I like I like the way they're written in that you're given lots of opportunities to do things that are the kind of slightly rash choice you would make in a high tension scenario that are not necessarily smart things to do, but that other characters are understanding of, I get it, this is a lot, there's no great choices right now. Right. And like, I don't want to get too much into like the, the first half of the game is that, and the second half of the story is the aftermath of living through what life is like after this very bad day. Um, the game has some good anti-cop sentiments and like some real good digging into the shit that cops do and the way that cops can be. Excellent. I like the way it's paced. It is like six, it's broken into six episodes that are all very, um, basically an hour long each. They're episode, TV episode length. You've got three and that's like one chunk of the story. Three more hour long bits. That's the rest of the story. Nice and concise. But yeah, the, the way they've done Twitch integration is really nice. If, you, if you're playing this on stream, when choices come up, there will be numbers next to choices, and literally all that chat has to do is type what number they want to vote for, and the name of who voted will appear, like, the last person who voted will appear under the choice on stream, so everyone can see their name pop up on what they voted for. If there is a tie, you as the person running the stream can override a choice, or you can let the game just hey, chat, you weren't decisive enough, 50-50, it's going to pick one of them now. But yeah, it's just a grounded, not nearly so melodramatic, not nearly so, like, leery, David Cage-esque. Like, there's nothing in this where I've gone, oh, that's that thing in a David Cage game you have to apologise for before suggesting playing it. But yeah, it's it's on Game Pass. If you like those kind of narrative choose-your-own-adventures, I, I really like this one. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, either, either of you played anything else? Uh, well, I played a game. Um, it's an early access. This is uh, My Time at Sandrock. It's the sequel to My Time at Porsche, which was a uh, long early access development uh, crafting game. And this follow-up is really interesting because it... it with these sorts of games, it would be very easy for it to just be more of the same, right? Mm. You know, and especially setting it in the same world, you've got a lot of the same materials that you're going to be using. You might, you know, reformulate a couple of things or, or whatever, but the idea, what do you add? And what they chose to add is environmental awareness. Environmental consciousness is what they chose to add to my time at Sandrock. It is a desert environment, so water is at an at a premium, and 
your machines now require it to function. Ooh. So it places this interesting limit on how many machines you can have operating or that you'll want to have operating. Um, you have a limit as to how much water you could buy every day. You can find water also in the environment, but it comes in the form of like dew. And you get very, very small quantities if you just go around and collect from the various sources every day. It hasn't yet run up against me in terms of not being able to meet my demand with the supply, but that day's coming very soon, I can already tell. And I think that's kind of interesting. Um, another kind of cool facet of it is um, there are rules in the town, like very explicitly against cutting down trees mm. and things like that that you would normally do to get resources. The first time I cut down a cactus, which I had been told not to cut down trees. I was not aware that a cacti qualified as a tree, but okay. I cut down a cacti, and all of a sudden I'm interrupted with a cutscene from the, the local constable <laughs> saying, hey, by the way, you know, I'm going to have to fine you next time you cut down a tree. Oh. So... I'm very curious to see where it develops from here. Otherwise, yeah, it is much the same as my time at Porsche. You have a, a little community. There are areas to uh, explore, ruins to mine, uh, characters to gain relationships with and do subquests for, and uh, things that you're instructed to craft and optional crafting and all of that stuff, uh, expanding your, all of that stuff's there. Uh, but just with this environmental stuff. Now, I will say, it is still pretty early in the early access timeline of this. The load times are rough. Uh, they're supposed to be addressed in their their first major patch coming uh, August, September, apparently. But like yesterday, last night, I I was tired. I'd been folding t-shirts for six hours. I sat down to play a video game and I loaded up my time at Sandrock and I made it as far as the start screen because it took like a full two minutes to load that. And then I remembered, oh, it's going to have to do another huge load when I start this. And every time I exit out of a building and I just turned it off. I might come back to it in August or September when they release the patch. I might wait to do it. But from what I have seen so far, it is shaping up to be really interesting. If you had even a passing interest in my time at Porsche, uh, this looks like it's going to be very good also. So yeah, yeah, my time at Sandrock looks like fun and I will be following along for a while. Oh, yeah. What about you, Steph? You played anything else this week? Played a couple of other things. I played Live a Live. Ooh. Or is it Live Alive? Which what is it? Uh Live a Live a Live Alive, I think. Live Live Alive. Live 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 Alive. Live 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 I've also been playing this. Yeah. Yes, good. It's gorgeous. I mean you you can't not say that when you talk about it. Like it's you know, got the uh, triangle strategy, octopath tri traveler sort of visual style. Uh, this is a, it's a remake 
of an old game that never got released in the West, if I recall correctly. Yeah, old Super Nintendo game from Japan, I think. Yeah, uh, and it's basically a, a collection of very short JRPG stories. Yeah. Um, all taking place in different periods of time, from caveman times to the far-flung future. I've played a couple of stories so far. I've played a couple of the chapters. I played the one set in the Wild West. Mm. I played the one set in Modern Day. And I'm partway through the one set in, um, like, Edo, Japan. The one that I hate. <laughs> uh, the first two I really liked. Uh, the Cowboy one was cool. I had a really nice little self-contained story about this, uh, you know, fugitive who's being hunted by this uh, bounty hunter who then comes to a town and has to defend it from some bandits. Really simple, straightforward, classic Wild West storytelling. Yeah. And it's got some turn-based combat and some, you know, humorous dialogue. And that's about it. Like, they're really simple, these stories. And I... And I really don't mind that. Like it, no. it gets away from a lot of the JRPG fluff and is just like, let's just get to telling the story we want to tell as quickly as we can and get out. Yeah, it was a little shocking how quickly they wrap up. Like when I finished the Wild West one, I'm like, okay, well I've got this XP system and leveling up and yeah. all this like space in the menu for accessories and armor and weapons. I didn't get anything. There's a few of them where it's like it feels like it could have gone longer, but they really committed to nope, nope, it's short. Yeah. Now, maybe when you do all of them, it opens up to something else. I don't know. But as it stands, I'm surprised, not necessarily uh, in a bad way. I'm just surprised at just how quickly it wrapped up. So yeah, that was cool. The modern day one is even more concise, but better for it. Basically, you're a, a Street Fighter type character who is basically doing a Street Fighter style tournament. You can choose, there's a range of fighters and you can pick any order that you fight them in. And then it's just a turn-based JRPG battle set up like a Street Fighter fight. Mm. Um, it's just you and whoever you're fighting, and it's kind of tactical because you can move around at will, but every time you move it sort of fills an action bar, and if you're within range of them, uh, they can attack you, but if you're out of range, they have to, you know, spend time getting to you. Uh, it's very cat and mouse, mm. uh, especially because you've got a, one of your abilities can heal, so it's, uh, at least in, in that particular chapter, so it's very much you picking your moments to attack and then withdrawing. And if the other aim is each opponent has two attacks that you can learn if they hit you with it, uh, so that you every fight you have, you end up with more and more abilities. And it's just a really cute little setup. You've got like professional wrestlers and um, like kickboxers and Russian grapplers and like, like different over-the-top characters to fight. Uh, and it, it, it really is that straightforward. It's just a series of turn-based battles that you that are set up like a fighting game um, and then culminates in a, a neat little boss fight. So those are the two I've beaten that I've finished. Mm. Then I played the one where you're a shinobi. Yeah. And I don't fucking... I, that's the one I started with the demo, and it almost put me off buying the game fucking completely. So I didn't play it during the demo, but I've been playing it now, and I agree it's a weak point. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is, like, you can fight everything, but it's more encouraging of stealth, because the battles are really hard, and 
you can press a button to basically just turn invisible and enemies can't see you. And when if you kill someone, it brings up a death tally. So the idea is it doesn't want you to fight. And I was fine with that because I was fighting everything in the demo and then got fucking annihilated because it's so hard. And I was doing fine with the stealth approach. I was starting to find it boring, wandering around trying to find a key for a door. But then I found I, I stumbled on a new area and then was storyline ambushed and forced into a fight and immediately one hit killed. And then I put the game down. And that's where I've left it because it, it just felt like such a massive fuck you. Suddenly, after encouraging me not to fight, it suddenly says, right, now you're forced into a fight with six enemies at once, just you, with a handful of healing, healing items that you might have picked up. Not that you'll get to use them, because the very first attack gave me a, a full-on game over. Didn't seem fair. Yeah, that's so little much. Yeah. See, I've left it at that. I've not gone back so far. Yeah, this, this is the thing with anthology content, is occasionally there'll be a piece of an anthology that just won't click, and, you know, that's how, that's how it is. Sure. Now, it's the same with that Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. I watched the first episode, and it was so fucking shit that I thought to myself, well, if this is... If this is their idea of their best foot forward, the rest of it can't be good. I've subsequently been told by more than one person that I've got to see some of the episodes, but God, it left a sour taste. So Love, Love Death and Robots is a really weird, awkward one in that regard, in that that feeling of um, best foot forward doesn't really apply because they weren't, Netflix clearly weren't sure what order they wanted to show these things in. Depending on which account you logged in to watch that series, what there were there were four different versions of how the they were ordered. <laughs> I did not know that. Like they were clearly like in real time A B testing, trying to work out which order got more people to watch it. Well, their algorithm fucked up for me. Yeah. So I, I, whatever, whether you watched it on Netflix or found it elsewhere, either you were given a random order or. You got the order of whatever order the, the person who got it from Netflix saw them in. It started me off on some CGI mech battle one, and it was so fucking dire that I really was like, you know what? I I don't. I mean, I I will advocate there are some really good some really good ones that love Death and Robots, but yeah, it it again without any anthology, you're going to be hit and miss. On, on that note. The one I've been enjoying most in Live Alive so far is the one that I played in the demo, the um, the futuristic space station one. We've got the little rob spherical robot called Cube. I've been saving that one. Yeah, I don't want to say any more than I did when we previewed it, uh, when, when I talked about it a few weeks ago from the demo. I think you'll really enjoy that one. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do know that there is something... Yeah, you said that some of these stories like stop a little abruptly, I know that there is some bit of story after you've played these stories. There is something else. I figured there had to be I something. Don't I don't know the specifics, but I do know that there is... Uh, look, I'm going to make an educated guess. There's probably some way these stories converge in some way or do what? something. There's got to be some relation, didn't there? <laughs> yeah. But like that That being said, I like that Like they do feel like self-contained stories and that like none of them so far have felt like they've ended with... And here's your ha a cliffhanger for the fact that this is part of a different story. Like, you can guess from context, but I'm not feeling like I've had an incomplete narrative. That's positive, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. Like, even if it's not, not all the stories are in it are perfectly for me, 
Like, I like having these little bite-sized, little nibbly bits of JRPG to play. Yeah. Uh, anyone else played anything else this week? No, I think that's it. I did play one other thing. I've not got a massive amount to say about it, so it can be nice and quick here. Yeah. It's a game I found while looking for things on my Steam Deck. It's called Hell Pie. The name alone caught my eye. It's a like a 3D mascot-style platforming, like action platformer. Uh, it's been compared to a hat in time, only it's not as sort of in-depth mm. in terms of level design and stuff. But you're the devil in charge of bad taste, and it's Satan's birthday, and you've got to go get ingredients for his pie. <laughs> and the write-ups about it and some of the reviews made me go in expecting, like, some real try-hard edgelordy shit. And it wasn't even that. There's just some poo and blood jokes. Ah. I was a bit disappointed that it wasn't trying harder to be offensive. The platforming's wonky. There's a lot of a lot of these indie 3D mascot platformers like have very wonky physics with jumping, I found. Um, and this is one of them. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, wandering through very, very straightforward 3D levels, picking up uh, like little collectibles and things. You have a little cherub uh, on a chain. And it looks like it's been designed, like it's come from something like Ren and Stimpy. Um, in fact, the character portraits for some of the characters have that. You know when they used to have those overly detailed stills in Ren and Stimpy that were gross? Sure. They have some of those and they're kind of cute. But you've got this little cherub, which apparently they keep as, as pets in hell, uh, on an, the end of a chain and it flies around behind you. And you swing with it to attack, and it can stay in the air for you to swing on it like your own portable grappling hook. It's a neat idea. That so far the the just the the game's not tightly developed and polished enough to really leverage uh, capitalize it. on it. Yeah, but it's it's decent enough. It did start with a good joke because it starts with the main character this little devil at his computer and and the camera's behind him and the you know his arms going up and down and you think oh i get it he's wanking to porn that's funny and then the camera pans around and he's actually got a bottle of sauce that he's putting on his food and he's shaking that and you think ah they subverted my expectations and then he unzips his pants <laughs> and then gets then he's interrupted by a phone call and the game starts but I was like, okay, that was good. That is good. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only time the game's really funny. Then it's just poo and farts and, and stuff, which I've got no problem with poo and farts. No. I, I co-host Boston's favorite son. Mm-hmm. Love a good poo and fart. But it's, it's just at that point where this enemy is made of poo and that is the beginning and end of that thought, mm. uh, which is fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine, but it's... Something that's premised on the idea of being... Gross and in bad taste. It's trying to sell itself to be a sort of, yeah, like a Conker's Bad Fur Day kind of thing, but it's, it doesn't go anywhere near that level. Uh, and that's about it. It's just a very standard little platform I've been playing that was disappointingly not upsetting enough. <laughs> that said, you can get upgrades by finding cute little unicorns and pulling their horns off while they're alive. I like that. So there is that. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Hell pie. Yeah. Should we get a couple of bits of news done quick? Yeah, why not? I'll tell you what, if you'd enjoy doing that, we can do that, why not? Well, I reckon so. I reckon there's a few things that are interesting. Um, so Roblox has come up again uh, as a newsworthy video game we have to talk about. Oh, good, because I was watching... Um, I can't remember. I was watching something that was on television. 
uh, like network television and somebody said Roblox and they should have said Minecraft, like my brain, you know, thinks, you know, that's the, but no, they said Roblox and I was like, oh shit, it's permeated that far now. Yeah, it really has, huh? In this case, it's less interesting about Roblox itself, but it's more an interesting story about like getting a bit of a peek behind the curtain on game development. So there's this article on Vice um, that goes digging into a bunch of documents that were uh, obtained by hackers that were trying to hold the developer of Roblox to ransom. And some of the stuff that's in here is really interesting, in particular stuff that pertains to trying to release a video game, uh, particularly an online one with user-generated content, in China. Oh. Vice specifically has published these details in an attempt to shine a light on the lengths that Western companies can be forced to go to if they want to enter the Chinese market. So we'll go over some of the stuff that's in there. Um, apparently there were instructions to Roblox employees uh, to expect that hacking of the game and creating clones of it would have started the minute that they um, partnered with Tencent <laughs> yeah. to bring the game to China. They were like, the the second that we we make this deal, expect hacking to have already started, expect it to ramp up after the deal with Tencent is signed, and possibly even for the hacking to be being done by Tencent, which is interesting. Yeah, they, they expected that even if they partnered with Tencent to try and be the ones to bring the game to China, that Tencent would attempt to clone the game and launch their own version and push Roblox mm-hmm. out of the market. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds like capitalism. Yep. Uh, they expected hundreds of people within Tencent, as soon as they had access to the game through this publishing deal, to be put on dedicated work reverse engineering the code to their own version. And Roblox employees were told, expect them to be successful in that regard. Yeah. But there's even more to it. So um, a presentation given by Tencent to Roblox uh, included demands that the game should respect the integrity of the country and not misrepresent the Chinese territory, including recognizing areas prone to errors such as Taiwan and Tibet. Oh, Jesus. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Prone to errors. Oh, that, that's not surprising. It's not surprising, but the language is amazing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, they were also warned that they must not tamper with historical facts uh, or include images or names of national leaders. So no P- no Tiananmen Square level in your Roblox game. Okay, but that no wouldn't that be need the poo Xi Jinping? But, that, but that's look. That would be like if, Conrad. If, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, Conrad. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. The, the the funny part is that it's no different here. Yeah. It's no different here. No. But, uh, so that Roblox has put out a statement in response to this, and it seems like they're mainly trying to downplay the fact that they were very much slagging off uh, Tencent. So they're, they're not denying that this stuff is true. Uh, the slide you referenced was from 2017, before we had a formal joint venture relationship in place. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was before there were consequences for us having said this. <laughs> As normal for a company entering into a new market, we consider risks and opportunities and plan for them. <laughs> Uh, and the most bootlucky bit of the whole statement, <laughs> Roblox policy is to comply with the laws of the regions in which we operate, including China. Uh, so yeah, that's... We all knew that's how this worked, but it's oh, nice yeah. to get a look at exactly how these things go down when China's involved. Other little bits of news we got, uh, we mentioned the other week, this is a very brief one, we mentioned Naive Angel Mode coming to Bayonetta 3. We could put some clothes on her. A lot of people online had assumed, and I think understandably, that Nintendo had requested they put some clothes on the lady mode. You know, that it's funny, because it didn't even occur to me until I saw this story that that would be the assumption in some people's minds. Because, yeah, I mean, Nintendo published Bayonetta 2 with no problem. They have really changed in terms of what they will except from the right people on their platform. I agree with you. I'm in the same situation. I didn't think that, but once I saw people had jumped to it, I'm like, I see how people jump to it. Yeah, makes total sense. So we got a statement that not only confirms that no, Nintendo did not ask for naive angel mode. If anything, Nintendo wanted more horniness in Bayonetta. Let me find the uh, translated quote from Kamiya that was translated by uh, Nintendo Everything. I see a lot of people bring up Nintendo when discussing the nudity in Bayonetta, but during our time with Bay the Bayonetta 1 port, Bayonetta 2 and Bayonetta 3, the only suggestion we received was regarding the Link costume in Bayonetta 1 and 2, and how it should have been a little more revealing. <laughs> they wanted sexy Link. They wanted you to be able to dress up as slightly sluttier Link. I mean, cowards. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, that's the only real word for it. Nintendo... <laughs> Hey, Nintendo asked you to make one of their characters a bit more slutty and you didn't do it. Yeah, what the hell's wrong with you? That it's it's surprising. Yeah. You'd think they'd jump at the chance. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, apparently they didn't jump on that, that opportunity to have a the sluttier link. <laughs> Sticking with Nintendo, we kind of alluded to this earlier. Nintendo continues to have a real fucking problem with their games completely and utterly leaking before their release dates. Really? Like very reliably. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> what could the what could the latest game have been? Well, funnily enough, the latest game is Xenoblade 3. Oh, that one you found in the in the dumpster while urban foraging. That one I found in the woods. What a strange coincidence. <laughs> yeah, so like I I've been talking to Steph about this a fair amount. It's mm -hmm. it's fascinating how this all goes down, but the short version is that Basically, whenever a new Nintendo game is on the horizon, a week before release, I can expect a message from Laura that says, look what I've got on my Steam Deck. <laughs> look, look, look what I found in the woods. Look what I definitely found in the woods. Look what I found in the woods. Wait, look, let, let's, let's talk about this directly. Nintendo has a real situation on, it, on its hands here in that, like, the, the short version is that, like, all video games that ever release will end up in some retail shops about a week before their release dates because of how distribution um, works in the US. If you are close enough to a distribution center, your copies will show up like a week before people who are at the furthest end of the distribution chain. The difference for other companies is that their systems haven't been completely and utterly hacked to the point that it's really easy to 
run homebrew software on them with basically just a paperclip, or in, you know, low enough horsepower games that they can just be emulated on PC flawlessly. This is like the fourth or fifth major example we've had in a row of a big budget AAA Nintendo exclusive leaking a full week ahead of release for people willing to pirate it. And it seems to be that this is just what's going to happen until they have an entirely new console. Every first party Nintendo game from now on until the Switch is done will have this happen to it. Yeah, fundamentally, like the, the original launch day Switch has been hacked so thoroughly that unless they release a new, like unless there are games released that will not run on launch day Switch hardware, or they do something to completely change how their distribution channels work so that stores don't have copies in their back room until a day before release, there is nothing Nintendo can do about this. And no, neither of those options is going to be something Nintendo would want to or should want to do. The only alternative to this that I can see is a different date for physical and digital release. <sighs> that seems like the reasonable way to do it, dot, dot, dot. There will be so much pushback from retailers. Oh, absolutely. Understandably. But if retailers can't get their shit together, because that's the thing. Nintendo used to be able to dictate to retailers, fuck you, you want our product, you play our game. Now, the landscape is different, competition is different, but yeah, the Switch is an online platform now. The Wi-Fi is widely available for their customer base. They could threaten retail in a way that, you know, and maybe not suffer for it. So I, now I'm not saying that they should do this, but that is the most direct solution to it and would probably cause the least heartache for them. I, I honestly think that is the only real solution at this point that could in any way work is doing it that way. Because right now you've got a situation where like, People are emulating Zen was emulating Xenoblade 3 a week before its release at higher frame rates and resolutions than the finished, you know, retail game has. That is a situation Nintendo can't really get around anymore. Mm -hmm. It's happened with the last two Pokemons, it happened with Metroid Dread, it's happened with this, and it just seems like it's not gonna stop. It's worth reminding everyone again that the emulated versions tend to run better. Yeah. They tend to just be better versions. Sometimes, even on actual hardware, you can, like... What was it? Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl yep. ran at 60 FPS on actual hardware. Yeah, it was literally a better version of the game. Yeah, and I know I keep bringing it up, but, like, it's... It's, it's fascinating to me that it keeps happening with such regularity... And that Nintendo hasn't or can't do anything about it. Yeah, we've got a couple of other very quick stories. Uh, Twitch has implemented some new settings to uh, try and help curb things like hate raids on the platform. Just mainly bring this story up so that people who stream who might not be aware of these settings that I don't think they're live yet, but are coming soon to be aware of them in case they want to use them. They're implementing things like you can control who can raid your channel by various uh, various settings. So, like, do they need to have a minimum number of uh, viewers, a maximum number of viewers? How long has the account existed before they can do raids? 
Are there certain people who break those rules that you'd still like to let raid you regardless? People, uh, for example, that like you you follow their channels, you'd be happy for them to follow you. Basically to try and stem the tide of hate raids. It's not a perfect solution because hate raiders can just go, here's the channel name, go to their channel en masse. Like, it doesn't prevent that happening, but it's something. I mean, anything that reduces the ease with which a hate raid can be conducted will inevitably shave off the number of people doing it. When you go from click a button and begin hating to put in a URL and begin hating or what have you, like, it's gonna... It's not ideal. Every step you have to add to the process, though, will winnow out. It shaves more people off. Yeah. So it's 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 definitely worth having, but it's certainly nowhere near what this multi-billion dollar corporation could or should be doing. Yeah. Now, at the same time, what you, what you are doing is exchanging quantity for quality. <laughs> yes. Because you're only going to get the most dedicated haters. That's true. To come and participate. I mean... <laughs> and honestly, when, when the lazy transphobes come... Oh, wait, no, that's all of them. See, <laughs> uh, so yeah, glad you're doing this, Twitch, but, like, do more. And the last one I want to talk about is... Uh, I know this is not a game that is in either of your wheelhouses, uh, but VR Chat. You're aware of VR Chat? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. If you've got a VR headset, you can basically go and do voice chat in social rooms that, uh, in in various 3D model outfits, and where people are are role playing sexual encounters. Yeah, I got it. I mean, that's one of the uh, that is without a doubt one of the things happening there. Yeah. But, like, it's a lot of, like, hey, I look like this character from this TV show and I'll talk to you in VR over microphone. And this game has, like, completely and utterly for years been built on mods. People modding in their own 3D models of environments to have social interactions in, characters to appear as while in VR, accessories to have while in VR, uh, but also, like, accessibility settings, things like... um. Some of the stuff people use this for is to, in VR, watch a movie with friends together and you're all watching it at the same time and you can look around at your friends watching it. Uh, you could put uh, closed captions so that when your friends are talking, you're, what they're saying is turned into auto-captions. Things like that are done with mods. And for a game that is so heavily mod-based, VR Chat is introducing anti-cheat software that will ban all mods from the game. Oof. Oh, for God's sake. And it has, like, incredibly quickly gone from being a very positively received game on Steam to absolutely having been bombed with neg negative reviews. Quite rightly. Both from people who are having their accessibility settings taken away, but also people who've, like, dedicated time and effort into making custom assets to play this game with um, not being able to. Don't fuck with mods on PC games. People will never think, oh, that's good that they did that. Yeah, so the reason they say they're doing it is because people will sometimes mod in hateful stuff, as people do when there are mods, and they can't moderate everything on this service fast enough, so they're just going to take away all the mods. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, like... It's a sh it's it's a particularly shitty situation for um people with accessibility needs because there's a lot of disabled gamers have been pointing out 
they have been asking for official updates to add in these accessibility things for years, and the devs keep ignoring their requests for these settings. Mm-hmm. So they modded them in themselves, and now they've been taken out. Unbelievable. So there's a big push going, hey, can we have our settings back, please? I love that. Like, they had to mod them in because the developers didn't want to fucking bother, and now they're having them take away because the developers didn't want to fucking bother. Nailed it. Yeah. <sighs> I've got one story myself. VR reminded me. Sorry, I should have noted it, but I saw it this morning, and it's amazing. This involves the VR headset, uh, the Quest. Oh, yes, this broke, like, very briefly before the show, and I forgot to put it on the list. Yes, so the Facebook's parent company, Meta, (laughs) announced that the Meta Quest 2, a VR headset that has been on the market for two years, yeah, is getting a one hundred dollar price raise. What raise? Raise. Yep, the price is going up. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry, we're charging you a hundred dollars more, but we are giving you a thirty dollar game. It used to be three hundred and four hundred dollars a piece for the different si- uh, different models. Now it's four hundred and five hundred dollars a piece. This is inflation. This is supply chain. Like, I I get it. Yeah. Um, like, it makes total sense why they are raising the price. And, and you know, a big part of it, they, it was probably a loss proposition for them in the first place, because their goal is to get people on the platform. Uh, it They may have just decided it's costing them too much at this point. It's not growing fast enough. Yeah. So we do know that it that they have been losing money on this this department, and I get it, but also it's not going to help them. No, this is not going to solve their problem. The entire market of the of the Quest line of headsets is it is really good value for money. It is for the the price proposition for what you get is probably the best anywhere in VR, and this price increase is not well timed because PlayStation VR two is imminently being announced. Yeah, we've got that. We've got the fact that inflation affects, like, the customer more than it affects any multi-billion dollar fucking company. You know, there's a cost of living crisis going on in the UK especially, but that's hitting fucking everywhere. Like, it's pricing more people out of a market that is not, like, known for its massive mainstream adoption to begin with is not the move. It's not the move. If you're trying to get, like... If you're raising the price so that only, like, the real VR-like connoisseurs are into it, guess what? They already have one. They'd have bought it two years ago. This, it's just, it's senseless to me. Like, what Conrad says, like, what you say, Conrad, is true. The reasons for doing it are sound. Mm-hmm. The reasons to do it are not. Right. Because it's not going to work. Yeah. All I will say is I'm very glad I bought mine like a week ago when I talked about Resident Evil 4 VR on here. Yeah. I picked it up at the right time and... Yeah, they're trying to do this last minute as well. So you do have a couple days. Anyone who wanted it, you've got a couple of days before they uh, bump the price up. But just a whole hundred dollars on a two-year-old piece of machinery. Wait a minute. What month is it? july end of july i'm just trying to figure out are they are they getting ready to do quarterly are they trying to juice quarterly sales of this (laughs) by raising the price at the Ooh. honestly the amount of days would make sense for an end of month 
push. For it at a quarter. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, I. Wow. <laughs> and inventory. Well. That's the other thing. That's the other weird thing about this situation is that, like, in terms of the way the consumer market is right now, generally speaking, inventory is the problem at companies, not not uh, demand. Uh, so, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's not just inventory. Let's be very fair. Matt is also dealing with uh, revenues dropping and its stock price being worth half of what it was last year, according to Polycon. Ha! I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying we've cracked this or anything, but that is yeah. very curious. Look, as someone that, like, really enjoys VR and, like, was was happy to to dip on one of these because I like VR as a thing... This price increase is going to make this a real hard sell. Like, it's really lost the a, a bit of the edge of what, what made it recommendable. Well, that's it. Like, anyone who was dedicated enough, like I said, anyone dedicated enough to VR to swallow a $100 price hike already got it when it was $100 cheaper. Yeah. That no, one in, no one right now looking at VR is sat there thinking... It's interesting, but I'll wait for the price to go up first. <laughs> no one in the history of humanity has ever thought that. Yeah. Amazing. That's the news. That's everything. We've done a show. Yeah. Well, it's not all we've done. We've done many other things, Laura, and I know for a fact, no matter what you deny, no matter what you, you contradict in the press, <laughs> you have done other things outside of this podcast. Confess. I mean, I have. I have done other things outside of this podcast. I have uh, I've written a book. It's called Me and My Dysphoria Monster. It's coming out on August 18th. Uh, I've, I've seen it. It's, it's, a real good, it's a real good illustrated children's book. You should go check it out. I'm at Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere else. And by the time this goes up, there might be an interview with me for Disability Pride Month on Gay Times. So nice. keep an eye open for that. That was a really nice interview that should be up by the time this goes up. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. My cat is on Instagram at One-Eyed Potato, and he's real damn cute. Um, you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks that I make at conradreads.com. Um, if you're waiting on a t-shirt from the Gymporium uh, in the United States, be looking sometime next week. Uh, uh, because that's my life right now. Um, and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? <gasps> James Stephanie Sterling. James Stephanie Sterling, one and the same. That is me. Yes, I do. Patreon.com slash uh, the Jimquisition. Uh, that's where you can support the Jimquisition show, this podcast, all of that. Uh, I also live stream, getting back into it after just the heat wave last week and being sick. It was fucking horrible last week but i'm back at twitch tv slash jim sterling i stream on mondays and wednesday nights and every now and then i might pop some in in other sort of random places uh wrestling dates upcoming uh current confirmed dates are august 6th in leicester for wrestling resurgence at the y theater august 20th I have two wrestling dates, only once confirmed, though. That is at uh, Avant Garde Wrestling, Newcastle, uh, in the Jubilee Club. 
nothing confirmed yet for September. Might have some cool news, but the next confirmed date is October 1st in Manchester. That is the debut of Sovereign Pro Wrestling, uh, where I will be in an eight-person elimination match, a match that also involves Simon Miller and Kid Bandit. And then um, the very next week in Blackpool, October 8th, uh, for PCW, it will be Commander Stephanie Sterling versus the man himself, Simon Miller. One-on-one, it's going to be fucking huge. October's going to be massive. Really looking forward to it. And I hope to see some of you there, but we will certainly see all of you next week right here. Thank you all so much, and goodbye. Bye. Bye.